Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I know it's been a bit of a heavy week in a lot of different ways. Uh, if you've been watching the news, you understand that. And, and I just want to kind of walk through. In God's sovereignty over this last week, I was the pastor on call, which means I carried the emergency phone. I actually spent probably more time in the hospital in ICU and intensive care and, and, the, and the surgical wings this past week than I did at home or my office. It's just been one of those unbelievable weeks. I think one of the reasons that God often does that is because He sometimes knows what's coming down the road. Actually, He always knows what's coming down the road, and He wanted to make sure that my heart was in a very tender, raw place, considering what we were going to talk about this weekend. The series has kind of taken on a life of its own, and, and God has been working in some pretty incredible and profound ways. For that, I'm unbelievably thankful. Some of you have been sending me su suggestions with regards to topics. Hey, Grant, you know, if you're going to want you, make sure you talk on this topic because that's taboo, and make sure you do this one because that's taboo. And what I want to say to you is I re really appreciate the suggestions. There's no way we're going to get to all of the ones that have been suggested. Um, it's not possible. So somewhere down the road, we'll do a taboo too because I never realized there was so much taboo stuff that was going on inside of our culture. I, I also want you to know that we, we take these topics very, very seriously and my heart is always to do no harm. And sometimes when you take a poke at, at, at a very difficult topic, if you just do a cursory glance at it, you can actually do more harm than good. So it's more than just a message. We want to make sure that we also have tools and resources and follow-up and people to pray and, and, and to be able to surround people as we walk through these things together. So I'm just going to warn you, if you've made a suggestion, I can't promise we're going to get to all of them. We only have so many weeks during the summer, and then we're getting ready for a big fall season. Um, but we're going to do our best to move through some of these difficult ones. You know, I'm not sure what I was thinking when we started this series. I mean, somewhere along the line, I must have thought to myself, I know how to have a great summer. Let's talk about all the stuff that makes people really, really uncomfortable. Um, so next summer, I'm probably going to do a series called, uh, you know, Five Steps to Having a Great Summer RV Vacation or something nice and light like that. Because we've been talking about politics, we've tackled domestic violence, we've talked about anger, and this weekend in God's providence, it's just like, I know what we'll do, let's just kick it up a notch and talk about sex, because that always makes everybody so unbelievably comfortable in the moment. I thought about, because of what happened this past week in our country, kind of just rebooting and changing and going a completely different direction, but I want you to know, um, we had already planned in a couple of weeks, Pastor Fred, who everybody loves, uh, is actually going to talk about racism and racial strife and those types of things in our country from his unique perspective. And so that's coming in. So the more I prayed, the more God said, Grant, just stay the course. Just stick with what I told you to do and trust me. So this is an act of faith for you and me this morning. And if you're a prayerful person, I would certainly appreciate you praying. We started with questions. The very first week in politics, I challenged you as a church to put your faith above your politics. That was a pretty big ask for some people. And then we talked about domestic violence and we looked at the difficult conversations of how do we step into somebody's life and ask the question, how can I help when we see brokenness in their relationship or maybe even in our own? And last week, Pastor Todd did a masterful job of kind of laying out this issue of anger because we just see it boiling in our country everywhere. Well, this weekend, I'm going to ask you another tough question. I hope you're ready for it. The question is this, am I willing Am I willing, nobody else, don't worry about anybody else's circle right now, just look at yourself for a second. Am I willing to bring every expression of my sexuality under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Okay, here's what I mean by lordship. Who gets the final say about what you do sexually? 
Do I dictate my own terms as to how this is? This is my area and God needs to mind his own business? Or do I submit even this tender, intimate part of who I am as a human being under the rule and under the reign of the God that I say is king of my life? Here's the biggest question. Who has the final authority? Who is the final authority when it comes to this difficult area? Now, some of you are not going to like this because when you hear this topic, you want me to talk about everybody else's stuff. You like it better. It's like, come on, Grant, point out their sin. I want to talk about their porn, their adultery, their alternative lifestyle, their dysfunction. Has anybody else noticed that it's so much easier to talk about everybody else's stuff than your own? You never noticed that? It's just easier, right? There's a moment in Scripture that's burned in my mind. It's a moment of of sexual brokenness. There's a woman, and Scripture says she's caught in the very act of adultery. In the act. And a group of religious people grab her, and they drag her, and they throw her in front of Jesus because they want Jesus to deal with her. And in his culture, that kind of sin was dealt with very, very severely. It could mean death for you. They want him to deal with her, but before he goes to her, Jesus deals with them. He says, yeah, we're not going to talk about her quite yet. I don't want to talk about you. And in the famous moment, he picks up a rock and he utters the famous words, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So all the perfect people in the room get to pick up a rock. Everybody else has to lay theirs down because God wants to talk about us. Jesus flips the moment. Instead of talking about her, he talks about them and their heart and their brokenness and and, and, and we love it. We love it so much because God speaks to her in that moment in two ways, grace and truth. The grace to say, I don't condemn you, but the truth to say, go and sin no more. And we like it when God does grace and truth with everybody else. We just struggle when he wants to do it with us because we just want to be left alone. You know, it's so much harder to talk about the taboo and the forbidden in our own lives. And, 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 and so this, this morning, we're just going to make this really uncomfortable for everybody, okay? We're going to draw a circle, and we're going to ask everyone to stand inside of their own circle. We're going to make this personal, but hopefully by making it personal, it's going to allow us to have a blunt but unbelievably kind conversation about this taboo topic. And I want to encourage you to do something. Could you just suspend all of your assumptions until so we get all the way to the end, and can you make sure that you don't get off at any point during the discourse? Because if you get off at any point, you may miss some of the things that really, really need to be said. You know, the truth is this. What I have to say about this topic is not nearly as important as what God has to say about this topic. So we're going to go to Jesus and let him talk to us about a taboo issue that we seem to see saturating our culture. It's just everywhere. So this is where I'm going to start. When it comes to human sexuality, in the entirety of Scripture, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, God has a consistent pattern, okay? His pattern is interesting because the book begins and ends with a wedding. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God cares very deeply about people and relationships, and God speaks within that relational construct consistently from beginning to end. Now, He's got a lot to say about it in the middle as well, but isn't it interesting that your Bible begins and ends with a wedding, As a pattern for relationships, God also has a plan. And right from the beginning, God creates and He desires oneness. So whether we want to debate it in culture or not, this is how Scripture lays out the plan. In Genesis 5, the Bible says God creates them male and female. There's no blurred lines. It's just male and female. And I know that makes some people uncomfortable, but that was God's plan. And then He unites them together. And the creation account to me is actually quite comical. 
Because God creates Adam out of dust, and then he actually basically does a lineup and says, I want to find someone suitable for you. And he lines up animal kind, and I just, in my brain, I just go, how in the world did that work? When God says to Adam, we're going to find someone to, 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 to make your life so much richer and so much better. And then along comes a rhino. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I don't think so. And then God brings a sloth. It's like, cute, but a little too slow. No, that's not going to work. And then God creates Eve. And when Adam sees Eve, he says these words, you are the flesh of my flesh and the bone of my bone. And we listen to that in our modern eyes and we go, Adam had no game at all. I mean, like, <laughs> this guy needs to take dating 101. This is horrible. What a terrible thing. But let me translate it for you out of his culture. He's saying this, you're perfect for me. You're perfect in every way. And this is not one of those you complete me moments, okay? That's the worst line in a movie ever written because it's such a lie, right? No human being can ever complete you. It's not possible because they're human. Only Jesus can complete you. God's got a plan. God has a pattern. And then God has an order. Even though we want to debate it, may not even agree with it, but God's got an order. The Bible says this, Jesus speaking in Matthew 19. Haven't you read, he replied, that the begin, the beginning, the creator made the male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, here's the famous line, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So there's an order here. It starts with leaving your parents, okay? And it's exactly what it means. You need to leave, go away, and stay gone, all right? That's kind of how it's supposed to work, right? Don't keep running back. And mom and dad, you need to let them go. And you need to stay out of it. None of this helicopter stuff, right? Hovering over top of them. You need to let them go. They'll be fine. The sovereign God is in charge, okay? So you need to leave your parents and then unite with permanency. This is a big deal. Let me say it unbelievably clear, but hopefully with gentleness. There is a reason why the divorce rate is 300% higher in couples that live together prior to being married. You may not have known that because that doesn't get talked about very much. The divorce rate is 300 times higher in couples that live together before they get married. Why? Because they never address the issue of permanency. It wasn't about commitment, it was about convenience. And that foundation built that way cracks and crumbles very, very easily. So God says, you leave, and then there's a permanent union, and then you create one flesh. Then you create that intimacy. You're committed for a lifetime, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. That's the deal, okay? So you leave you unite, and then you consummate. That's God's order. Let me say this quickly to all my single brothers and sisters in the room, okay? Singleness is not a medical condition that's only cured by marriage. Okay, we know that, right? Okay? Singleness is your natural state. You were born single. Jesus was single. The apostle Paul was single. And Paul actually wrote in scripture that he wishes more of you would actually stay single so you could focus on your relationship with Jesus and not get it all muddied up with a bunch of human beings. I think that's a beautiful plea. It's a beautiful plea, okay? Why is this so unbelievably important? Because your 
most important relationship is not supposed to be with another human being. And as much as culture would want you to believe it, your most important relationship is not even falling in love with yourself. Your most important relationship is supposed to be with Jesus. Dr. Les Parrott said this, if you try to find intimacy with another person before doing the hard work of becoming whole on your own, all of your relationships will become an attempt to complete yourself. It's just true. Can I tell you something? Singleness is the best time of your life to learn what it means to be whole on your own. So be satisfied with your singleness, satisfied with that most important relationship. If God calls you to leave the realm of your singleness, awesome, then you're supposed to follow his order. Leave, unite, and create one flesh. You commit, you covenant, and then you consummate. Let me say it again. You commit, you covenant, and then you consummate. Can somebody say amen so I know somebody's with me in the room, okay? Just saying, all right? Now, can we agree culture hasn't embraced this order? And this is where the taboo comes in here, right, right? Here's the issue with this taboo topic. Culture says sex is a right. God says sex is a responsibility. Let me say that again. Culture says sex is a right. God says sex is a responsibility. So let's set, set the record straight, okay? God is not anti-sex. He's not. God created sex. And as a married man, I think God's a genius, okay? I think it's fantastic. Some of you are blushing right now. That's funny. All right, so... In the first chapter of the Bible, this is what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. So God, as he's creating, puts a man and a woman together, and then he turns them loose with these instructions. Be united with each other, make a covenant, and then be fruitful and increase in number. That's God's way of saying, get a room and let it rip, okay? That's what he's saying. Grant, I can't believe you said that. Just stick with me, all right? <laughs> God created sex. He encouraged Adam and Eve to have sex. I mean, read your Bible. God doesn't have a problem with sex. It was his idea in the first place. And some of us have this twisted idea in our brain, right? We read creation, and, and, and we see the creation account, but we, we, we picture it in our mind differently. You know, it's like God creates Adam out of dust, and then he makes Eve out of his rib, and he's creating all of these things. And then at some point, God gets distracted, and he starts like making a tree or making a different kind of animal because he's kind of bored. And when he's got his back turned, Satan sneaks in, and he makes male and female genitalia, and he just starts sticking pieces like all over the place. And then God turns around and just like, what is that? That is trouble, right? What is that? And we start thinking that somehow Satan just got in there and kind of slid this stuff in. And that is so far from the truth. Let me make it clear. Your body, your desire, and your purity is God's idea. And in the right order and in the right context, they are both beautiful and holy. It's a beautiful picture. Is in many things, God has this pure idea and design, and then man sins. And through his disobedience, Satan comes in and he begins to twist and counterfeit what God intended for good, and it creates a mess of trouble. So let's make sure we understand this. God created sex, and then he asks us to take responsibility for his gift and to make sure we treat it with godliness. Last time I talked about this topic, I made this statement that I stole from a friend who stole it from another friend. God always puts fences around things that are sacred and dangerous, and sex is both. 
Let me say it again. God always puts fences around things that are sacred or dangerous, and sex is both. So here comes the question in a different way. Are you willing to put your godly responsibility above your rights? Are you willing to bring your sexuality and all of its expressions fully and completely under the lordship of Jesus Christ with his pattern and his plan and his order? Your rights will say that you get what to do, you get to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, and God needs to mind his own business. That's what your right will say. God says your responsibility is to reserve it for the person God's chosen for you, to keep it for that time when there's a marriage commitment in place, and to always use sex as a means of honor and respect. That's God's heart for you. So according to God, and according to his word, let me tell you how God views this thing called sexuality that we see is so broken. God sees it this way. Sex is a beautiful gift that produces physical life. I mean, if you don't know that sex creates babies, we need to have a different conversation at some point, okay? But the Bible says be fruitful, increase in number. It produces physical life. But secondly, it produces emotional life. It produces emotional life. It's life-giving when it's cherished. And the primary way it's cherished is when it's patiently anticipated. In the book Song of Solomon, I'm going to do a series on it. And believe me, I'm entering into this fall with some fear and trepidation, but we're going to talk about this beautiful picture of intimacy. It's not just sexual intimacy, but all of the different types of emotional and relational and psychological and physical. But in that book, Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's divine permission to wait for and anticipate the beauty of God's design. I'm not trying to to brag or set myself up as some example because, believe me, I know just how broken I am. But I waited 22 years for the fulfillment of every desire I ever had. And my wife at the 1115 service will blush so red at this particular moment in the message, you'll be able to feel heat coming from this section right over here on my left. I waited 22 years for the fulfillment of every desire that I ever had. And it was worth it. And I don't think that makes me a freak. Now, do I wish I could tell you that it was out of pure holiness and godliness? No. I stayed pure out of good old-fashioned Baptist guilt. That's how it worked for me. (laughs) If you do that, mm, right? But was it worth it? Yeah. Why? Because love waits. And lust rushes. Love anticipates and lust presumes. Lust will lie to you. Love will always tell you the truth. Let's keep going. Not only produces emotional life and physical life, it produces knowledge. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Adam lay with his wife and he knew her. He knew her. Laurel knows me. She knows my insecurities, my fear, my sin, my present, my weakness, my strength, my dreams. She knows all of it about me. And the fact that she actually stays that's, that's love. I'm just saying. That's love. And intimacy is a natural outflow of that kind of love. It's a beautiful expression between a husband and a wife becoming one flesh because literally you become one. And when you're one, the other half of you becomes your standard for beauty because that's how you begin to know that person. And that standard of beauty is, is interesting, right? It, it goes like this, basically. If your spouse is short, you're into short. 
If your spouse is a nerd, you're into nerds. If your spouse is bald, you're into bald. If they didn't used to be bald and a nerd, your standard changed. Deal with it, okay? It's just the way it works. But you're one, for better or worse, before and after the effect of gravity. You know what I'm talking about, okay? And I'm going to stop talking. I ain't getting in so much trouble, all right? But that's the standard. Can I speak really, really lovingly to those in the room who are not married, but you're having sex anyway? You're not one. You're two. You have two lives, two souls, two agendas, and two futures. And God says the reason you can't connect at the deepest part of your soul is because you haven't committed. See, I'm committed. Prove it. Oh, it's really quiet. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Sex is also a gift that produces pleasure. You know, it ticks me off that we have left the, the beauty of physical love to romance novel writers and sex advice columnists. Because the Bible actually has a lot to say about sexuality and sensuality between a husband and wife. There's an entire book on it. You may know this, not know that this is Bible, but let me read some to you. You've stolen my heart, my lover, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eye, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my lover, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And that's kind of weird, but I hope Lebanon smells good. That's, I think that's what that's saying right there, all right? That's your Bible talking to you. Saying that sex is the pursuit of all things pure in a relationship. And its consummation brings pleasure and it brings comfort. I grew up in a construct where people tried to make sex gross and make sex ugly. So it went like this my whole life, right? Sex is bad, sex is gross, sex is bad, sex is gross. So save it for the one that you love. <laughs> and as soon as you're married, go. Sex is spiritual whiplash. And the way they held you in that pattern of sex is gross is just like, it, it's, it's nasty and it doesn't feel good. They lie. They lied. I know. <laughs> it's for pleasure. It's for comfort. God gave it that way. Let's keep going. It also protects the one flesh relationship. This is so sadly neglected in many marriages. I mean, in a world where adultery seems commonplace and affairs are just like an everyday occurrence, people just overlook the fact that sexual intimacy puts a protection over top of your relationship. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul as a single man talking to married people. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible says this. Now getting down to the question you asked me in your letter to me. So apparently we're not the only church that's ever had this conversation before. It says first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife, for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world that's just filled with sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to love his wife, the wife seeking to love her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. That's good Bible. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether you're in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, but only for the purpose of prayer and fasting. 
then you need to come back together because Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Do you see the symmetry all the way through Scripture? It just keeps being laid out over and over and over again. It's the same message all the way through from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Sex is to be enjoyed as a gift from God within the context of a committed husband and a committed wife. And I know right now, as soon as I say that out loud, that is taboo for me to say in this culture. Grant, you don't get to draw those lines anymore. You don't get to say those kinds of things. That's narrow-minded. That's bigoted. No, that's Scripture. God sees this is beautiful. And He tells all of us, what God has joined together, you don't dare touch. You don't separate that. You don't separate it through disobedience. You don't separate it through apathy. You don't tear it apart. No, you bind it together. But I am keenly aware that I am walking on really, really thin ice this morning. But I'm going to say it again. I would rather be a fool in the eyes of a man than a fool in the eyes of God. So according to God, the place for righteous sexuality is within the context of marriage. Put it in your outline just real quick. Because I want to make sure we get this. Marriage is a gift. Once again, only if God calls you there, okay? And you do need to be called there, because those of you that are married, you know what it's like to be married to another human being, right? It's an interesting place. Marriage is a gift. Secondly, marriage is a refining place. It's a place where God welcomes you into this wonderful place of, of heavenly sandpaper where he uses another human being to buff off all the rough edges <laughs> that make you who you are. I want to remind you of something to the married people in the room. Marriage was never designed to make you happy. It was designed to make you holy. And when you're holy, it allows you to be happy. We got that? Let's keep going. Marriage is a humbling place. It's a humbling place. Laurel knows the worst of me. She sees it every day. And it's humbling to know that somebody would love you in spite of yourself. It's a humbling place to know that God has called us both together. It's a humbling place to know that God has called us both to love each other in spite of our, not only our emotional weaknesses, but our physical weaknesses. Laurel has Bietti's crystalline dystrophy, cystoid macular edema. I get to be her eyes. I have tinnitus. She gets to be my ears. We are a perfect combination. See no evil, hear no evil. That's how it goes together in the Fishbook family. But how humbling is it? To think that somebody knows you and stays. Let's keep going. It's a committed place. It's a committed place where someone says, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to embrace the permanency of our covenant until death do us part. Marriage is a covenant place. That's the next blank in your outline. Asking the question every single day, would I be willing to die for her? I said it 27 years ago. I'll say it again. My answer is still yes. Not because of anything that I have in me, but because of everything that Jesus does in me every time I realize what an honor it is to be inside of that circle with her. Let's sum it all up. Marriage is a place of pattern, plan, and order. God's pattern, God's plan, and God's order. So, 
what have we done here today? We, we drew a circle, and people don't like that, right? Because when you talk in definitives and you talk in absolutes, which our world doesn't like to do because we live in a world of moral relativism where everything just gets assigned and you kind of get to do whatever you want to, and how dare anybody ever tell you that there's a different way? But there's that circle. And I drew the circle because of God's heart for people when it comes to sexuality. I believe God's heart is broken because of the way our culture has treated this beautiful gift. So now we all have to struggle, don't we? Because remember, I, I talked at the beginning. We're not going to put anybody else in the circle today. We're just going to see whether or not we've got the courage to step there ourselves. So now we have to struggle knowing that if this is God's design, what do I do with my issue with pornography, my issue with same gender attraction, my issue with an emotional affair that I'm having on Facebook to try and get some kind of a deep hole in the bottom of my soul met through somebody who used to go to high school and is now lying about their appearance and what they actually look like and I'm all twisted up and caught inside of that but I just can't stop myself because they say nice things to me. My issue with lust, my issue with Oh, here's a hard one for married people. My issue with a non-intimate marriage where I refuse to do what God's asked me to do because I just don't feel like it or I don't want to. Tell me, is that rights or responsibility? Let me ask the question again. Are you willing to bring... Let me ask myself the question. Grant, as a follower of Jesus, are you willing to bring your sexuality and all of its expression, fully and completely under the lordship, the authority of the Jesus who not only gave you the gift of your sexuality, but also paid for your purity on the cross. This is not about going on a crusade to correct somebody else's issue. Let's start with the person inside of each one of our own circles. This is about us bringing our sexuality under the rule and the reign of Jesus. Like I talked about at the beginning, we always want to make sure that we have opportunities for people to continue the conversation. You know, some people I understand will sit in the room today and they'll go, Grant, I don't agree with you. You know what? That's allowed. You don't have to agree with me, but I would ask you to do me a favor. Can we continue the relationship and the conversation? Can we keep talking? Because what good does it do if we both step away and we don't actually press in when difficult topics confront both of us? We created a class. It's taught by Carolyn Merriman. Carolyn's teaching invaded lives right now. So many of you, after the domestic violence weekend, stepped into this class called Invaded Lives because of history and different pieces. I so applaud your courage. Carolyn's teaching another class called Imago Dei, which means the image of God. I, I just pulled the description right out of the catalog because I think it's, it says exactly what it is. Everything you always wanted to know about sex, sexuality, gender, and being the person that God created you to be. This six-session class for anyone who's curious about the God-given difference between men and women, anyone questioning whether or not they're good enough, or, or any person who wants to honor God with his or her sexuality. That's the openness, and I just encourage you. I know it takes courage, but I think God's called us to that kind of courage. So we've drawn the circle. And I know there's a lot of yeah buts. I get it. 
I understand. In fact, a lot of people come to my office and they sit in my four little comfy chairs and, and we sit and talk together. And I'll tell you what, I'm so honored when someone comes and says, hey, would you be willing to have a conversation with me about a really, really, really tough area? I've had multiple conversations over the last couple of weeks. I sat from across from a person that I care very, very deeply about, that's struggling deeply with all of this discussion about transgender and, and all of the things that are swirling in our culture right now. And what I loved about them was they said, Grant, just please just shoot straight with me. Don't tap dance. Don't try to make me feel better. Just shoot straight. I said, then let me lovingly share with you. I believe that God gave you a gift when you were born. I believe that women are beautiful and men are beautiful and that God gives a specific gift to each person. And I don't think God makes mistakes. And I love you. And I want God's best for you. And you don't have to agree with me, but I'm not going anywhere. I had another conversation with a person who's struggling with their identity. They are struggling and they're trying to reconcile what Scripture says and how they feel. And they're caught in the tension between rights and responsibilities and the world is dragging them in one direction and they're trying and we're having this conversation. We're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I said, here's the biggest question that they had for me. They said, so if I, if I choose to step outside of that circle and you know it and I know it, will you still love me? I don't know about you, but in my experience, I think we go so much further with conversation than we do with condemnation. Yes. I'm a, I would love to still be the person who gives grace and truth. And thank you for honoring me in, the, in that moment, in that conversation. So, yes, if you, even if you willfully decide to step outside, will I love you? Yes. I said, so I, now I have a question for you. If with all of my strength, I still hold to the biblical values that God laid out in Scripture. And I stand in front of, I stand inside of that circle. Will you still love me? We're still having the conversation. Because we're friends. We may not agree. We are friends. My friends, we need to follow the pattern of Jesus. Grace, neither do I condemn you. Truth, go and sin no more. And I'll go first. I know this stuff is hard. And some of you are just like, I just want to have an easy summer. I want to come into church. I want to sing my favorite songs. I want, I, want, I want a special music number. I want to smile. I want to laugh. I want to shake hands. I want to drink coffee. I want Grant to leave me alone. I just I don't want to do anything in the summertime. I want him to tell me how to bring Jesus into my RV. That's what I want more than anything. <laughs> you have no idea in my heart every week how much sometimes I desire. To, let's just go easy. But I think the cost is too high. 
So I thank you for being a courageous group of people that, that are like, okay, let, let's go there. Let's talk about taboo topics. Let's speak the truth. And then let's love each other. Let's start inside our own circle. And work from there. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you for this week. It's been rough, hard for many of us. And yet you're there. I love what Todd read. I'm with you. And the fact that you are with us, even in these hard conversations, just gives me courage. So, Father, for each one of us, as we walk from here today, standing inside of our own circle and saying, okay, God, am I fully submitted or not? God, I, I pray that we wouldn't just oversimplify this. God, I know this is, this is deep soul, hard stuff for so many of us. God, I thank you that you're a God of grace. God, I thank you that if we've ever stepped outside of the circle, <laughs> that you're a God that loves to forgive and welcome back at home. So Lord, I pray that there would be no guilt and no shame today in the midst of this, but conviction that simply says, my God is a forgiving God, so I can come back and my God can restore and renew and replace and rejuvenate. So Lord, for all the poor and powerless and all the lost and lonely, we thank you that when we step inside of your plan, that you stand there with us. And you wash us as white as snow. So God, may we have the courage to stand strong, stand firm. And may you receive all the glory. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said.